Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, and as you find your place there, if you're able, I'd like to invite you to stand. John chapter 21. And if you're able, I'd like to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. John 21. And we'll read a few verses here. John 21, and uh, let's begin with verse 1. The Bible says, After these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. Excuse me. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto him, I go a-fishing. Saith unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. When the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, No. He said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came into a little ship, for they were not far from land, but it was but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with the fishes. As soon as they were come to land, they sold a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was, the, was not the net broken. And Jesus said unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. And uh, we're going to speak on this subject this morning. Are you going backwards, or are you going forward? Are you going backward, or are you going forward? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the message that you've given us. I pray now that you would help uh, me as your vessel to deliver uh, the truth that you've given me. And I pray that through this message that we would be helped and encouraged and strengthened. And God, I just thank you for... Uh, just allowing us to be here at Calvary Baptist Church. God, I pray now that you would bind Satan and put a hedge of protection around this place. God, I pray that you would meet with us this morning. I pray that hearts would be touched, that lives would be changed as a result of what we hear this morning. God, we expect you to do great things, and we're asking you now that you would. God, I pray that you would cleanse me of sin, that you would empty me of self, and that you would 
Fill me with your spirit. Help me to be a blessing this morning. I pray that you would just use this to push the people of Calvary Baptist Church and the people in this auditorium forward and help us to realize where we're at in our Christian life. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Thank you. Amen. Peter is, uh, to be honest with you, he's one of my favorite disciples. I love studying about Peter. Peter's just, uh, he's just a fun guy to, to study about. And uh, the reason why I say that is because um, Peter reminds me of myself many times. Um, he, he, uh, he makes mistakes. <laughs> um, he puts his foot in his mouth. Um, but yet... He is, um, he loves the Lord. He loves Jesus. And uh, Peter got to see a lot. Peter got to see um, a lot of things. I want you to think about the life of Peter just for a moment. And we're going to backtrack and we'll come back right back to this story. Let's go back to where Peter met Jesus. Peter met Jesus as he was fishing. And he was there with his brothers. Um, James and John there, and they were fishing. They were fishermen. That was their uh, job. And so they were professional fishermen out fishing. And uh, Andrew uh, comes to Jesus and tells him about Simon, Peter. And, uh, of course, uh, Peter is brought to Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Um, And, of course, Peter decides to follow Jesus. And what a great day that must have been. I mean, literally, Peter left everything that he had, everything that he owned, said, I'm going to follow Jesus. It's, 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 it's just about him now. And so he begins to follow Jesus. He begins to uh, be around Jesus constantly. I mean, every day, Peter gets to be around Jesus. Peter gets to see some incredible things. Peter gets to see Jesus at this wedding turn water into wine. I mean, this had never happened before, and Peter gets to see it. Peter was there when Jesus met a man with leprosy, and Jesus touched him, and he was healed. Peter was there when they were there at the boat, and Jesus was sleeping at the bottom of the boat, and they're, they're going crazy, they're, 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 they're scared, they're wondering what's going to happen, they're throwing stuff over, and Peter's there when Jesus gets up and says, Peace be still, and the winds and the seas obey you. Peter was there, Peter was there when Uh, There was a woman with an issue of blood, and she touches the hem of Jesus' garment, and she was healed right there. Peter was there when there was a demon-possessed man living in the cemeteries, and he was just absolutely crazy and running around, and, and Jesus cast these demons out of Peter. Peter was there. Superman's here, too. Here he comes. Peter was there. Peter got to witness those things. Peter was there when Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two small fishes. Peter was there. Peter was there when Jesus walked on water. And Peter stepped out too and got to walk on water himself. He was there. Peter was there when Jesus healed a blind man at Bethsaida, touched his eyes and made him whole. Peter was there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He got to see that. 
Peter was there. Peter was there when Jesus sat with the disciples and said, one of you is going to betray me. He spoke up and said, not me, Lord. I'll go, you, I'll go with you into death. And Peter was there when Jesus said, before the cock crows, you'll deny me thrice. Peter was there. Peter was there when the disciples were searching for the body of Jesus because it was no longer in the grave. It was gone. And he ran to the grave and realized Jesus had risen. Jesus was no longer there. And of course they meet this man on the road to Emmaus and they realize that Jesus is alive. Jesus has resurrected from the grave. He's no longer dead. He's conquered sin. He's conquered death. He's conquered the grave. It's all what he said he was going to do. Peter was there when Jesus rose from the dead. Peter was there. If we be honest this morning, Peter got to see probably more than any of us have ever really seen God do in our entire lifetime. He got to see in three years. Peter got to see a lot. But yet, somewhere, Somehow, Peter decides this isn't for me anymore. It was all fun. I enjoyed the miracles. I enjoyed the teaching. I enjoyed the preaching. But he said, I'm going fishing. I'm going back where I was. I'm going back to my old life. I'm done. I'm, I'm going fishing. He makes a complete 180. And now he's going completely backwards. I remember in high school, one of the things that we hated the most in football was our sled. And when I say a sled, it wasn't like, you know, you're going skiing or going down the, you know, the snow or whatever. But this was um, obviously something that you would get down and push like you're pushing uh, linemen. You've got the, the, the pads on there. And the thing about our sled was it wasn't one of these sissy aluminum ones where you just push and it's like it just flies down the field. This was like steel and it was like 30 years old. And so it had collected everything that you could possibly think of. This thing was heavy. Not only was it heavy, it was originally supposed to have five pads on it, and it had three pads on it. So it wasn't even where, it, you know, it had too many. Uh, it didn't have enough people pushing it as of what it had before. And so we always hated when our coach said, all right, we're going to the sled. Uh, we're going to push the sled. It was literally the worst thing that we could do. Because what would happen is we would get the sled, we put it at one end of the field, and we would push it across the field, turn it around, and keep going back and forth until he thought we were, we were good. And so we were just, you know, our legs are falling off. We're about to, you know, guy, guys puking on the sideline. And just, you know, it's just absolutely nuts. And we're just like, this is terrible. Can we just stop? 
Like, and, and when you're in the middle of the field, you realize it's not over yet because you still got to get it to the other side of the field. And just when you think it's over, he says, all right, let's do it again. Blows the whistle and you got to get back up. And, uh, man, this was, this, this was never a fun thing that we would do. And, of course, we'd get down, get on our stance, and he'd blow the whistle, and we'd hit it. We'd drive it five, ten yards, and then we'd stop and then go back, and the next guys would step up, and then they would drive it, and you'd just continue doing that over and over and over again. But what happened, though, is sometimes, if you weren't smart or if the guys weren't smart, there would be one guy on one side that was very strong, and there'd be another guy on the other side that wasn't very strong. And so what would happen is, as they would hit it or they would push it, the one guy that was stronger would be pushing harder than the other guy on the other side, so it would begin to turn. And when it would begin to turn, we would start going the wrong way. And this was literally the worst thing that could possibly happen because uh, once you get it that way, then obviously you've got to get it back around the other way. So then you've got to have another guy get there and and you got to basically just start over and turn it around again and you've lost progress that you could have had you could have been 10 yards up the field but now you're turned around going the other direction it always was frustrating it was always upsetting and of course uh you know you've never wanted to find yourself turned around when you get done and you look up and you realize the guy on the other side isn't pushing hard and now we're going the wrong direction isn't it crazy that sometimes w- w- when, when, we're, when we're struggling, when we're tired, when things are, are, aren't going our way in life, we find ourselves, we, we get up, we look, and we're, we're heading the wrong direction? What am I doing? How did I find myself back where I was before? How did I find myself doing the same things that I was doing before? How did I find myself thinking the same things I was thinking before? How did this happen? I'm sure Peter is probably realizing realizing this and understanding, man, how did I end up right back to where I started? I mean, he was with Jesus for three and a half years. He got to see awesome miracles. He got to see all the things that Jesus did. He got to see Jesus raised from the dead. He got to see all the things that Jesus did, but yet he went back fishing. And can I tell you, if Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, came to a point where he decided to give up on God, that can happen to any single one of us. It can happen to any of us. None of us are excluded from that. If one of Jesus' own disciples said, you know what, I'm going back to my old life. I'm going back to the fishing again because it's just not worth it. It's just, I'm, I'm tired. This is difficult. I don't want to do this anymore. Things are getting rough. I want to go back to where I was before. I think something that's really interesting, if you look in your Bible, that Peter didn't go alone. You know what's crazy? Is that when you get hooked up with Jesus, and you begin to see Jesus begin to bless, you, be, you, you begin to see Jesus do great things in your life, guess what? You'll start talking about Jesus. You'll start saying how Jesus has been blessing your family. You'll start talking about how Jesus has been, been so good to you. And you'll start talking about how Jesus just encourages your heart and how you've, your relationship has just gotten so great with Jesus and things are going the way they should go. And you start telling everybody about 
Jesus and they begin to know, hey, that person's a Christian. Hey, that person loves Jesus. Hey, that person knows everything about Jesus and they, they love Jesus. Man, that's amazing. And then when you quit and you go back to where you were, guess what? They'll go with you. That's what happens. Look at it if you would. John chapter 21. In verse number 2, there were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto him, I am going fishing. And they saith unto him, we also go with thee. So if, you're, if you're giving up, we're giving up. If you're quitting on God, we're, we're going to quit too. If you're throwing in the towel, we're going we're gonna to throw in the towel too. Because what's the point? We were thinking about quitting anyways. We were thinking about giving up anyways. Can I, can, I, can I just tell you that you're not the only one who's thought about giving up? But can I remind you that Peter got to see God do so much, but yet at some point he decided, I'm going back going back I'm going back why why did he do this I began to look at this story and think why is it that Peter makes this decision to go back why why did he go backwards why did he not go forward why did he go backwards I want to give you two things this morning. You say two things? Yeah, two things. Uh, That doesn't mean we're going to be shorter. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm going to give you two drastic differences of going backward and going forwards. Two drastic differences between going backward and going forwards. So let's look at it, number one, if you would. Living in guilt will send you backwards. Living in guilt will send you backwards. What do you mean by that, Pastor? What do you mean living in guilt will send you backwards? Let's go back a little bit. Where was Peter just a few days before this? Peter was there. Not once. Not twice, but three times. Peter denies that he even knows who Jesus is. I don't know him. And they say, well, you were with him. No, I wasn't with him. I'm not associated with Jesus. What are you talking about? No, 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 you, 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 you were with Jesus. You were one of his disciples. No, I'm not. I don't know Jesus. The Bible says he began to uh, use language. He began to swear, it says, and, and he really begins to get upset and angry. And then the cock crows. And somehow, some way, Jesus passes by that way, and Peter gets to see the look 
on Jesus' face after Peter denies him three times. Can you imagine the look and how that must have felt? When Jesus walked by and saw Peter and thought, I thought you loved me. I thought you loved me. And now you don't even know me? And Jesus goes to be crucified. Jesus goes to be beaten, hung on a tree, killed. Peter looks back at this moment and thinks, I blew it. I blew it. I had a chance to stand up for Jesus. I blew it. I had a chance to stand for my faith. I had a chance to, to, to do right. And I blew it. I messed up. I did exactly what I said I wouldn't do. I went exactly where I said I wouldn't go. I said exactly what I said I wouldn't say. And I blew it. I messed up. Let me give you a quick definition of guilt this morning. Guilt. Guilt is a message of disapproval sent to our minds that says you should be ashamed of yourself. Let me read that again. Guilt is a message of disapproval sent to our minds which says you should be ashamed of yourself. Guilt is like the red warning light on a dashboard of the dashboard of the car. You can either stop and deal with it or break out the light. The devil has a way of using guilt to play with our minds. He does. Pastor, how do you know that I struggle with guilt? How do you know that that, that happens with me? Can I tell you something? I'm not a mind reader this morning. This is what I'm saying. We're sinners. We mess up. We fail God. So guess what? The devil will take that sin, the devil will take that failure, and rub it in your face and say, you're worthless. You're no good. You're not deserving. You should be ashamed of yourself. That's the devil. I think if we be honest, we felt that before. The devil saying, you're worthless. Look what you did. Look where you went. Look what you said. Look how you reacted. You should be ashamed of yourself. And the devil's ultimate goal, I really think, he deceives our minds. The Bible says over and over again that the devil is a deceiver. He's a deceiver. And so the devil will do anything he can to deceive you into thinking that you are worthless. Because if he can get you to think that you're worthless, guess what? You are. 
Because you can't do anything for God if you think that you're worthless. You're no good for God. God can't use you if you're over here saying, guess what, I'm worthless. I can't do anything. I'm no good. I can't, I can't serve God. I can't, I can't take a stand for God. I've, I've failed him. I've messed up. I've, I blew it. When I had a chance to stand up for God, I messed up. I failed. So I'm no good. That's guilt. That's guilt. And I would walk through the dorm, checking rooms. There were times where, um, where guys would kind of linger when they weren't supposed to be in the dorms and there were things that they were supposed to be at that they would kind of be staying in the dorms, whether it was a, a church service or things like that. And so we just, as uh, supervisors, we had to go through the dorms and just check and make sure that guys were doing what they were supposed to be doing. And of course, at any place, at any, any time, uh, no one's perfect. No one's, no one's, you know, just because they're at a Bible college doesn't mean that they're little angels. And, um, and uh, so, you know, we, I, I would go through the dorms, and uh, many times you'd find guys um, that were still in their rooms. Maybe they decided they didn't want to go to church or they didn't feel like it or whatever. So they stayed in their rooms. And, of course, it was my job to tell them they had to go to church and write their names down and give it to the dean's office, and they'd suffer the consequences. And, uh, and I remember sometimes we'd, we, uh, this one time in particular, we were going through the dorm, me and another guy going through one of the dorms. I kept hearing something. I kept hearing, like, people. And I was like, where is that coming from? And, uh, we're, you know, because we're checking the rooms and, you know, different things and, you know, we, it, it just, it, 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 surpri- it, it surprises me every time. I'm just like, what in the world? Like, how does this even happen? And, uh, of course, I finally kind of decide to, to just check in the general area where I was hearing the noise from. And I opened up one of the closets, and there's three guys sitting down in the closet. What are you doing? And uh, they had their computer open. They were watching a movie or something. And just, you know, I don't know if they were eating popcorn or whatever. And they were just having a good time. And they were supposed to be, you know, at a service or something. I was like, what are you guys doing? You know, just kind of asked them, what, what are you guys doing? And one guy spoke up, oh, I'm sick, I'm sick. Okay. The other guy said, oh, I just, I just got back from work. And I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going right now. And I don't even remember what the other guy's excuse was. But it was just funny, like, immediately you could see the guilt on their face, like, or busted. Like, this didn't work out as good as we thought it was going to work. We thought watching a movie in a closet was going to work out great, but it didn't. And, and you know what? Just, it, it was so funny sometimes, because you, you just know when, when, when that happens, you just, okay. But you know what? Something that, that, that really is, is so important is how we respond to that. How we respond to that. Because guess what? God's going to find you guilty of something. Whether it's today or tomorrow or in, in the next hour. He's going to find you guilty of something. Because we sin. But how we respond to it is what determines whether or not we go forward 
or backward. What do you mean, Pastor? Okay. Adam and Eve, they messed up. They sinned. What did they do after they felt guilty? They hid. Right? Do you remember the story, right? They hid. They even put the fig leaves on. They were hiding from God. You and I both know we can't hide from God. He's everywhere. But they were hiding from God. Why? Because they were guilty. They didn't say, God, I messed up. I'm sorry. They went and hid from God. They got away. They didn't handle the guilt right. They didn't handle the guilt correctly. And what we try to do whenever we mess up, whenever we fail God, is we try to run away. We try to go back to maybe where we were or where we felt comfortable before we got saved. You know what that does? That doesn't allow us to go forward. When we go back to where we were before, we're not going forward, we're going backwards. And so what guilt will do, what the devil will do with guilt is say, you've messed up, you've failed me, you, you've done things that you shouldn't have, you've, you've been away from me for too long, and so now you're worthless, you, you can't do any good for God, and so there you go. You go backwards. That's what guilt does. And guilt will destroy your life if you allow it to. It will destroy your life if you allow it to. Am I saying that we'll never feel guilt? No, we will. But what I'm saying is living with guilt will only send you backwards. Peter, come back to this story. Peter messed up. Peter failed God, if you will. And so the only thing he could think to do was go back to where he was before. He said, I'm going fishing. And the disciples said, we're going with you. We're going with you. Guilt is the reason why so many Christians give up on God. We've missed missed a few Sundays. Maybe I haven't read my Bible in a while, so I'm just, I'm not even going to do it anymore. I've committed this sin a few times, and I don't think there's going to be any victory over it, so I guess there's no hope. I've failed God so many times. He doesn't want me anymore anyways. So we give up give up. That's exactly what Peter did. Peter said, I'm going fishing. I think it's interesting, though, in verse 3, it says, they went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night, guess what? They caught nothing. (laughs) They caught nothing. Peter gave up on Jesus because of the guilt that he had. Can I remind you of something this morning? That Jesus paid the price not just for some of your sins, but for all of your sins. 
You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't paying for your sins of yesterday. He was paying for your sins forever. Forever. Every one of them. So because of that, we can be cleansed of all of our sin because his blood covers all of our sin. The Bible says in Romans 8 and verse 1, There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. He's saying, there's no condemnation on you anymore. There's no condemning you anymore because you're already already clean. Your sins have already been forgiven. You're already mine. There's no reason to feel guilty because the condemnation is no longer there. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, in being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Familiar verse, 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What do I do with my guilt? Listen, take your guilt and take it to Him and ask Him for forgiveness. You say, well, I've messed up too many times. I failed him too much. I mean, this was too big. This was was so much that God couldn't forgive me for. How could he forgive me for this? No, you see, Jesus didn't die for some of your sins. He died for all of them. And there is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Can I say again, if you allow guilt from your past to hold you down, you won't go forward. I don't know where it was. I don't know if it was in the last week, the last month, or years ago. If you allow guilt from your past to hold you down, you will not go forward. You won't. And the devil will do everything he can to remind you of your past. He'll do everything he can to remind you of your past. But can I remind you, when the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. When the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Because he's not going to be here much longer. And God's already said he's taken care of him. So when the devil tries to bring up your past and try to tell you, well, look what you did, or look where you've been, or look what you said, or look look where you went. You say, you know what, devil? The past is in the past. God's already forgiven me for that. And guess what? Your future is only going down, and my future is going this way, so leave me alone. Tell the devil to get out. Because the devil will do everything he can to use guilt to bring you down and get you out of church and say you're done. Don't allow the devil to do that. I believe all my heart, Peter's in this very, very moment, a man who's already seen God do some great things, is already here and saying, well, back to fishing. It was all fun and dandy serving God, but Back to fishing again. 
And he allowed guilt to put him backwards. Can I give you a few things this morning of how people respond to guilt? Three, three different ways here. Number one, some people rationalize their guilt. Excuse me. Some people rationalize their guilt. Do you ever listen to what people say when they are caught in the act of doing something wrong? These guys that I found in the closet. Oh, oh, oh. I'm, I'm going. I'm sick. And I kind of rationalize it. I, I have an excuse. Not too long ago, the newspaper reported that a man was arrested for stealing a car parked at a cemetery. When he stood before the judge, he said, since the car was parked at the cemetery, I just assumed that the driver was dead. <laughs> okay, you're free to go. <laughs> Makes sense. Insurance companies hear the best rationalizations. Here are some of ex- the explanations people have given when uh, filling out accident reports. Here's one here. Coming home, I drove to the wrong house and collided with a tree that I don't have. Uh, Another one here. A truck backed through my windshield into my wife's face. (laughs) A pedestrian hit me and went under my car. (laughs) I I pulled away from the shoulder of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and then drove into the ditch. (laughs) In my attempt to kill a fly, I drove into a telephone pole. The pedestrian had no idea which way to jump, so I ran over him. <laughs> now, you know, we can laugh at these rationalizations of these people's mistakes, but I wonder what our excuse must sound like to God when we are guilty of sin. Well, God... I didn't mean to, but I know I said I wouldn't, but it's just too hard. And we rationalize our guilt rather than just confessing. Number two, some people deny their guilt. No, I didn't do that. No, I don't have an issue. I don't have a problem. Israel was at war with another nation, and King Saul was instructed by Samuel the prophet to destroy all the property belonging to the king of the enemy nation. However, Saul looked at the sheep and cattle this king owned and began to estimate its worth. Finally, he decided to disobey God and keep the king's possessions for himself. But he forgot that God sees everything we do. God sent the prophet Samuel to confront Saul with this guilt. And Samuel told Saul to obey is better than sacrifice. Isn't it amazing that people have the capacity to deny guilt when the evidence before them is unquestionable? No, I didn't do that. That's not me. You ever watched cops before? No, that wasn't mine. I didn't do that. I don't know how that got there. That's what we do with God. I'm sorry. I, I didn't know. I didn't mean to do that. And we deny our guilt. Number three, some people run from their guilt. 
Some people rationalize it, make it okay. Some people just deny it, say it never happened. And some people just run from it. Bars are filled with people trying to run away from their guilt. They cheated on a spouse. They, they messed up. So they run to something like alcohol or drugs because of their guilt. Judas ended up at the end of a rope himself because of guilt. Judas sold Jesus for money. And after he realized what he did, he went and hung himself because of guilt. Jonah ended up in the belly of a fish. Peter ended up back fishing again. And the problem with running from our guilt is that it follows us follows us wherever we go. When we try to run from our guilt, our guilt runs with us until we handle it. Until we handle it. And what do these all have in common? Rationalizing, denying, and running. They all don't work. None of them work. They all send us backwards. They all don't work. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. 2 Corinthians 13 and 14 says, And you, being dead in your sins, and hath the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. So living in guilt will send you backwards. But number two... Living in grace will push you forward. Living in grace will push you forward. You know what I think is the most amazing thing about this story? Honestly, when I look at Peter, I think he he faced guilt, he didn't handle it, so we went back fishing. It makes sense. That's what we do. when When we fail God and we mess up and we don't deal with the guilt, we'll go back to right where we started. But the way Jesus responds is just something amazing. Now, if we be honest this morning, if you or I were Jesus, and we see Peter and the disciples fishing where we found them three and a half years ago, I'd be walking up to them and saying, what are you doing? What is wrong with you? Three and a half years? Do you not remember the miracles? Do you not remember the things I taught? Do you not remember the things that I did? Do you not remember how I provided for you? Do you not remember how good I was to you? Do you not remember what is wrong with you guys? That's how I would react. But Jesus walks up and says, Hey guys, have you caught anything? How's it going? Have you got any meat? Do you have any fishes yet? Cast nets on the other side. Now, Peter was a professional fisherman. 
Now, if you're a professional at something and someone who's not a professional tells you how to do something, that, that probably would offend you, right? Peter's a professional fisherman. This random guy walks up and says, hey, why don't you cast on the other side? Thanks a lot. So they do it. What happens? All these fish start coming in. They can't even hold it. There's so much fish coming in. What is going on? What's happening? We're getting all these fish. And then then they begin to realize, this is Jesus. This is Him. This is the Lord. He's here. And Jesus responds with grace. He doesn't come back and say, you worthless piece of trash. Why did you leave me? Why did you deny me? Why did you do that? What is wrong with you? No, that's not what Jesus does. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want you. You're mine. I don't care if you've messed up. I don't care if you failed me. I don't care if you've ran away. I don't care if you've done something that you think is so awful. I don't care where you've been, what you've done, what your name is, what your zip code is. I don't care what your credit score, your, your, your height, your whatever race you are. I don't care what you've done. I want you. I love you. And I still want to use you. That's what Jesus said. grace. And you know what? When you realize that, listen, we're going to face guilt, we've got to handle it, but if I live in grace realizing that God still loves me, God still cares about me, God still wants to use me, God still loves my family, God still wants to bless my family, listen, realize that God's grace is greater than your sin, and although we have messed up, God says, listen, I've already forgiven you, I've already paid the price for you, I've already forgiven those sins, and so listen, don't live in the guilt, live in my grace. Live in my grace. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. The Bible says in Romans 5.8, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You're facing some guilt? How about go to God? Go to the throne of grace so that we can obtain mercy and grace in the time of need. Romans 3.24 says, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What an amazing thing it is when we understand God's grace. His unmerited favor. It's God saying, you're not worthless, but you're worth it. You're not worthless. You're worth it. You're worth it to me. You're worth me going to the cross. You're worth me enduring the shame. You're worth me despising all the pain and all the things that I have to go through because you're worth it, because I love you, and because my grace is greater than your sin. And I want you to live there, not living in guilt. Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines Him to bestow benefits upon the undeserving. It is used 
to us sinful men to save us and make us sit together in heavenly places to demonstrate to the ages the exceeding riches of God's kindness to us in Christ Jesus. A.W. Tozer. Charles Spurgeon and Joseph Parker both had churches in London in the 19th century. On one occasion, Parker commented on the poor condition of children admitted to Spurgeon's orphanage. It was reported to Spurgeon, however, that Parker had criticized the orphanage itself. And Spurgeon blasted Parker the next week from the pulpit. The attack was printed in the newspapers and became the talk of the town. People flocked to Parker's church the next Sunday to hear his rebuttal. I understand that Dr. Spurgeon is not in his pulpit today. And this is the Sunday they used to, they used to take an offering for the orphanage. I, su- I suggest we take an, a love offering here instead. The crowd was delighted. The ushers had to empty the collection plates three times. Later that week, there was a knock at Parker's study. It was Spurgeon. You know, Parker, you've practiced grace on me. You have given me not what I deserved. You have given me what I needed. That's exactly what Christ has done for us. He's not given us what we've deserved, but He's given us what we needed, and that's grace. It's grace. Can I remind us this morning, do not live in guilt, because guilt will only send you backwards. It sent Peter right back to the boat. It sent him right back to the boat. Deal with the guilt. Don't rationalize it. Don't deny it. Don't run from it. Deal with it. And then realize that God's grace is abundant to us. God's grace is available at any moment. So let's come to the throne of grace and obtain that. Let's get that grace and live in His grace so that we can live and go forward rather than going backwards. Listen, I don't know about you, but I want to go forward. I don't want to go backwards in my Christian life. I want to go forward. So listen, the only way that we can go forward is by living in His grace. Living and realizing that His grace is sufficient for us. Yes, we fail Him. Yes, we've messed up. But don't allow your past to keep you going backwards. Allow His grace to keep you going forward. And I hope that we'll remember these truths. Heads bowed and eyes closed. It's about nice clothes. One of two choices. Guilt. Grace. Will I live in guilt and go backwards? Or will I live in grace and go forward? God loves you. He wants you desires to have a relationship with you. But the devil's going to do everything he can to use guilt to send you right back where you came. Deal with the guilt. Ask for forgiveness. Get it right. And go forward by God's grace. As the music begins to play, you talk to God. 
guilt or grace? It's our choice. The grace is abundant and free to all who take it. I hope you will. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Search me and try me, Master, today. Whiter than snow, Lord, wash me just now, as in thy presence. Humbly I bow, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way, hold o'er my being, absolute sway, fill with thy spirit, till all shall see. Christ only always living in me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the message we've heard today. And I thank you for the reminder that your grace is always sufficient. Your grace is always enough. And I pray that if there's someone in this room that maybe has been struggling with guilt this week, maybe realize they're going backwards, maybe even realize they're right back where they started, I pray that you would help whoever that might be to get that guilt taken care of and live in your grace. I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you that even though we don't deserve it, even though we were sinners, you still loved us, you still died for us. And I pray that we would not forget that. We wouldn't forget what you've brought us through, we wouldn't forget how you've taken care of us, and we wouldn't find ourselves right back where we were, but we would find ourselves going forward for you. God, I pray that we would be reminded 
of your grace this week and not ever forget what you've done for us. We love you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much.